Good morning to you. My name is Brian Fannin, and I, if you're new to Grace Fellowship, I serve as the Florence Campus Pastor. And I get the privilege today of opening God's Word with you in the book of Acts as we continue in this series on the book of Acts. And so, if you're unfamiliar with really what Acts is all about, why it's called Acts, it tells us a little bit about the early church. And remember, it's part of a two-volume set written by a physician named Luke. And it's called Acts uh, for a reason. It has uh, scholars have differed on how they and, and why they call it this. But one reason is they say it was the Acts, actions of the early church. Other scholars have said, actually, it's more like the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the church. And it certainly has both of those things. But clearly, I want you to see what happens when God's people have the gospel and they move toward other people. The actions that occur out of that. So if you have your Bible, turn with me today to Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to, uh, first of all, I'm going to assume there are people here who aren't familiar with their Bible, in front of just about every Bible, there's a table of contents. You can find it there. Uh, the book will be called Acts, sometimes called Acts of the Apostles. Um, but I'd like for you to look at these things together. We look at the text together because there are going to be certain things I'm going to call your attention to. But I'm going to give you, before I get to the text, I'm going to tell you what happened. Basically what happens in this text is a man who has been lame his whole life. He has never known what it's like to walk. The only thing that he's done is watch other people walk. And he's going to get miraculously healed. Now, there's more to it than that. I could pray and we could go home, but it's more to it. There's much more to it than that. And I want you to see it today, but what I don't want to do is miss the opportunity to catch you up. Because in Acts chapter 1, what we see is Jesus ascend, and all the disciples see this. And then they gather in chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages, and the apostle Peter preaches the very first sermon and literally 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Wow, overnight, church gets big, 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 big. Then we get to chapter 3, and we kind of see that life is beginning to move back to normal. In fact, you're going to see Peter and John doing a normal thing in the life of that day. So what I'd like you to do is take your, uh, your, your Bible in hand, and before we read, I want you to catch this. Many of you lived in the day prior to 1990 that folks with disabilities sometimes would approach a government building and they could not get in. There were stairs. Or they would be in a public building, a McDonald's, whatever, and they could not go into the restroom. Because they had, they did not have equal access. And in 1990, George Bush Sr. signed into law the Americans with Disabilities Act, which provided 
new stipulations for all government and public places, as well as protections for those with disabilities. So that they could have a job, they could hold a job, and they could gain access just like you could. It's a good law, good, good, good law. Now, similarly in the day of Christ, there were places that a person who was crippled could not gain access. And one of those places was the temple. But it was for different reasons. It was, it was because uh, it, people in those days who were crippled were often seen as a constant burden to their family or they had done something or their family had done something that prevented them or, 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 or basically it brought sin on their life and they were marked so they could not get, they could not be a part of the intimate atmosphere of spiritual life among God's people. They were always kind of on the outside. Now I don't know what your imagination is like and if you've been pretty much healthy your whole life, it might be difficult for you to imagine what life was like for this man that we're going to encounter in this text. But that's where we're going to go, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 3 and in verse 1. And in honor of God and his reading of his word, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Now I'm going to call attention, I'm going to break up this reading, call attention to some words. And if you have a pen or a pencil, I would encourage you, if you're writing your Bible, to circle some of those places. Because they matter, because there's a recurring theme uh, in the passage. Verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now the ninth hour is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive alms from them. Now, verse 6. First word in verse 6 is one of those places you ought to circle. But, 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 but. Always about, we're about to see a contrast here of what is going to happen in this, in this man's life. But, Peter said, I have no silver or, and gold, but what I do have I give to you. Now these next words, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now you might want to mark that. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And here's another one. And leaping up, circle that. He stood and began to walk. And entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, 
And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wander? Or why do you stare at us? As, that our own, as though our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And in his name, and here it is again, here it is again, circle this. By faith in his name, he has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is, is, that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, while you have your Bible in your hand, I want to show you something. Now, I love my pastor, and when he says, don't go into chapter 4, you know what I do? I obey, all right? To a point, but this, this, this whole thing goes into chapter 4. And what happens in chapter 4 is Peter keeps telling why, why, why. And I want to show you just a couple things. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. In verse 10, <laughs> is Bigney in there? Bigney's in there, okay. I will say very little, all right? He says, verse 10, now as Peter talking, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. That, there it is again, by the name of Jesus Christ. On down a little bit further. By him this man is standing before you well. Down a little further, he says something like no other name. Eleven times in Acts, Luke comes back to this, and it's a recurring theme in the New Testament. And if the church is going to be the church, we must not miss that the name of Jesus has power. You may be seated. All right, we're going to talk about today what happens when Peter and John see this lame man and what they do in that moment. If you read the preview email on Friday, is Peter and John have the ultimate name drop here. They drop Jesus' name and this man's life is changed, radically changed. And it's changed because this early church is an extension of Jesus. They do what Jesus did. And it's normal. And it's normal for lives to be changed for the better when the church of Jesus Christ acts in the name of Jesus. But this chapter also gives us a look at what happens when you, as a normal follower of Christ, what happens when we do normal living intentionally in the name of Jesus? What occurs? What should we expect? What expectations should you have on a normal day? Because when we get to chapter 3, even though there is a miraculous thing, life is starting to look normal to the reader. Because followers of God would go to the temple as a normal course of practice to pray in the ninth hour. And that's what you're seeing. They're doing the normal thing. And there were people who were normally asking for help who were in need. 
So what we're going to do today is we're going to take this text and not just look at the miraculous, but we're going to ask if, the, if we are the, going to be the church of Acts and as we function on a, in a normal way, what is it that we should expect? So I want you to see these things today. Number one, this. You can expect to meet people beyond your personal means or ability to help. Now, if you look at the text in verse 6, when Peter and John look at this man, they say to him, they've asked of, they've asked of Peter and John, uh, or the man's asked of Peter and John, I, I need money. And they look back at him and say, I don't have any money to give you. In fact, the text in the ESV says, I do not have silver and gold. You see in the story that life for believers involve us doing normal things where we will encounter normal people who are actually in desperate need. And when you encounter people in desperate need, you are going to find that many times, if you're honest, they are beyond your ability to help. And if you feel helpless in those moments when you come in contact with people who are in great need, welcome to the club. You actually are helpless. And sometimes that unsettles us. And one of the reasons why it unsettles us is that we live, even today, part of our challenge is that we as Christians know the difference that Christ has made in our life and we long for a miracle in other people's lives. And we would love for God to do a miracle every time we pray for somebody. We love burning bush moments. We love those moments when God shows up in a miraculous fashion. But the reality is God more normally shows up in milk run moments. When Peter and John are going about their daily business, they encounter a man who's in need. And the man wants what is beyond their means. He wants money. And this is an important moment. It's an important moment because on display is a person in need, and it's very public. Very, very public. And see, the world today recognizes the needs of the world as you do. The needs that we face. There are places where people are starving. There are places where there's need for clean water. And all the world needs justice. The world questions the values of the religious and looks at us and says, if you are religious, why do you not do more? Why not more? And I say they would likewise have a hard time with Jesus who said, the poor you will always have with you. See, the deepest need for this man is the same need for all men and women. He has no power to change himself. Oh yes, money will change his circumstances, but it will not make him whole where he can live new, where he literally can get on his feet and dance with joy. Each day this man's life was a life of begging. And each day the world looked at this man with this accusation. What did he do 
or what did his parents do, what did his family do that brought this on him? The Apostle John wrote in the book of John that Jesus was asked even by his disciples when they encountered a blind man. Do you remember the, the experience? The disciples asked him, what did this man do that he's born blind? That he's blind. What sin did he commit? But Jesus said, it was not that this man sinned, but that the glory of God would be displayed in him. But even money will not solve the problem of this man. I hope you can see that. As Even as he asked, he is lame, and not only that, he's cut off from caring adequately for himself, and he's cut off from the spiritual life of Israel. He's outside. The world that we live in, the culture at large, will look at Christians and look at us and say, bring your money, bring it, bring your power, bring your influence, and by all means, bring your tolerance, bring what we perceive to be to meet the need of humanity as we determine the need of humanity. And the cry of the culture is for us to level the playing field if we're going to do anything and make accessible all the good of life to everyone. Culture's cry is also that education will solve our problems. You've heard this. We just need more education. But education, it does not take us long to understand that education has not removed the blight of racism, violence, abuse, or greed. Education has not made the lame in heart stand on its feet. We simply don't understand our most pressing need. And we get overwhelmed as Christians when we look at how desperate the world is. Even a thing like addictions, which is rampant, and many of you may know someone, or maybe you have struggled with addiction. Or maybe you are struggling even now with it. Addictions are a place where the heart, not just the behavior, is the problem. Our own Mark Shaw, being interviewed by World Magazine on the opiate crisis, said, quote, Christians seek heart transformation rather than outward behavioral change alone. If the heart changes, behavior will change. See, the heart, and described as scripture, it's the worship center of your life. Where your heart is, it shows what you value. And what you value will lead you to action. And when the power of Jesus comes into your life, the heart begins to be transformed. And the power to change becomes possible. And when someone greater than the addiction is worshipped, your addiction can be faced and your addiction can be defeated. Each day, you and I can live our lives going through the motions. We can do the same old daily habits, never recognizing that God places in our path people for us to engage, people for us to care about, and people that He will remind us, you are powerless to change and you're going to feel helpless 
maybe even unable to help. But you're wrong. And you're wrong for a reason. You're wrong because you have lost sight of your Savior. So that brings us to number two. Yes, you can, number one, expect to meet people beyond your means. But you also, number two, you can expect to meet people not beyond his personal means to help. And that's what we find in chapter 6, verse, the, the latter part of verse uh, 6. Peter looks at, at the man and he says, But what I do have, I give to you. Now I want you to look right at that. This should be our lens every moment of every day encountering every person in need. You may be helpless on every other level, but what you do have if Christ is in your life, you have the power of Jesus' name. You have the power of his character. You have the power of his love. You have the power to bring this to bear on other people's lives. And so that's what he says. But what I do have to you, I give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus, rise. And he reaches and grabs him and pulls him to his feet. See, I, I believe, I believe that you and I, deists, who don't believe in Jesus but believe in God, and unbelievers in God all alike, we think similarly about this thing. We think that there are some people that are simply beyond, if there is a God, His ability to help them. And so we dodge the situation. We don't know what to do. And we forget Isaiah 59, 1 from the New Living Translation says this. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. The Lord hears and the Lord sees you. He sees you right where you are. But as we look at this story, I don't want you to miss the event's progression. This man is... Where he normally is, he's, he's outside the temple gate and he's calling for attention. And notice what happens. Peter and John, they engage the man. Verses 4 and 5 says, uh, he, they, they fix their attention on him. Or he fixed their attention on Peter and John. And Peter and John gazed at the man. Now this word gazing is an important Construction. Anybody that was reading this word, they, they were jumping back to chapter 1 because in chapter 1, the disciples are what? They're gazing at Jesus ascending into heaven. And Peter and John in chapter 3 are gazing at the man in the same way who's in need. I dare say Luke was not just using that word. Peter and John had gazed at the power of Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. And with that same look, they're looking at this man in need. And they're going to bring to bear the name of Jesus to that moment. 
We're going to meet people in the most desperate circumstances. You know how you're going to meet them? You're going to meet them one person at a time. And you and I should not be afraid to look at the needs that we face. Yes, you're going to feel intimidated. Yes, you might feel overwhelmed. When you see the need, but you need not feel overwhelmed when you see the need and see God. Because when you know Him, you can see Him before, you can see Him behind the needs you face, you can see with a different lens, and you can act in His strength. Not in your own strength, which is of course insufficient. This is precisely what Peter and John did. Even as they looked at the man, they saw what they did not have, what the man wanted, but knew the character of Christ. Now I want you to hear me for a second. You go, well, Brian, are you telling me you show up some days to work here and there's a lame man by the door and you're seeing this man get to his feet? I don't want you to get wrapped around the axle of the miraculous here. That's the mistake that we're, we make. Because we long for the miraculous. We want God to just do the miraculous. Surely that would convince. One of the great struggles of the modern Christians is that we see needs everywhere. Everywhere. Everyone we pray for is not healed. So we tend to forget that the ultimate needs of the world, the ultimate needs faced by the world, are never beyond his means to help. But you might, you could be here today and say, well, Brian, isn't that kind of naive? The world's problems are very complex. I'm not saying that they're not complex. I'm not saying that there's not complexities of injustice or the complexities of sex trade and drug addiction or climate change or the imbalance of the world's resources. The world looks at us, the church, and thinks we're powerless to do what is needed to meet the world's problems. So I want to ask you, how do you, Christians, see the world's problems? What are the real problems that the world faces that are beyond the scope and the answers the gospel really provides? Do you know? Do you actually know? That man and woman, mankind has three problems, and that's it. Only three, of which all the others sprout from. And here they are. The world has the problem of sin. The world has the problem of sorrow. The world has the problem of death. And I know but one place, one place where the answers are found. And it's in the gospel of my Lord Jesus in this book. That's where the answers are found. By his name, who he is, when he comes to bear, lives are changed for eternity. Which brings us to number three. 
you can expect that the changes God makes to meet the broader needs of life. What needs do you have that you think the gospel does not touch or is irrelevant? You could be tempted to think that the gospel does not touch your money problems. Your financial woes, you think that's up, for, up to me to figure out. Maybe it's your marriage. Some of you who claim to be followers of Christ... You could be struggling to think, I don't even know that Jesus can help this situation. You have forgotten that the gospel is to impact your marriage. You have forgotten that your gospel, the gospel impacts how you manage your money. Or how the gospel in, impacts the management of just your day-to-day life. You and I should expect that God changes to us and He is ready to meet the needs of the broader things that we face. But never mistake this. God's people, you and I, sometimes the things that God calls us to do are very practical in nature with the people that are in our path. Sometimes it's Very practical. Don't miss this. This man could not walk. And it severely impacted his life. He could not work. There was no ADA. There was no wheelchairs. His life was a daily grind of asking others to care for him enough. To give him just enough to get by. His life was about barely hanging on. And it's important that God's people are about meeting practical needs of other people. In the name of Jesus. But I want you to know that it's very tragic when believers get this out of balance. Let me show you what I mean. Many people, many, many, many people have chosen to invest their lives helping other people dig wells for clean water, teaching irrigation methods to raise crops, and providing medical care, plus other needs. Scores of organizations, Christian and otherwise, are doing good things. But if we go to places of great need, and feed hungry stomachs, and provide clean water to the thirsty, but we never bring the truth of the gospel, of the greatest need that we all face, is the need for spiritual rebirth, then all we've done, all we've done is delayed eternal separation from God. That's all we've done. Sometimes in our heads, we say amen to that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Christians have got to be about carrying the gospel. But hang on. But if our intent is only to carry the gospel truth, and we're all about truth, 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 truth. Theological, academic truth. Bring in it. We never sacrificially seek to meet the practical needs people face. Do you know that the Bible describes us by, through James, the apostle, 
is actually practicing a dead faith. Where we look at people in need and the only thing we offer them is say, be warm and be filled, go your way. James says that's practicing a dead faith. We're out of balance. We might be out of touch. We might be like Marie Antoinette, who legend has it that when she heard that French, the French peasants, peasants had no bread, she quipped back, well, let them eat cake, as if they had cake in the fridge. Change that we all need is change at the heart level. That's where lasting change takes place. So sometimes the change that God meets, the broader change that he's looking for in our lives, is much more profound. It's more than the practical ability to walk. This man needs to walk, yes. But he may be lame like you're lame. That he can't get on his feet. He's spiritually broken. And his life is a life of begging for survival. And he can't get on his feet. But I want to show you what happens here. It's something that happens in the lives of all those who come to faith in Christ. This man's life gets redirected. I want you to see what happens. When he is healed, the power of Jesus' name redirects this man's life. Jesus is at the center of this story. Not James, not, not, not John, and not Peter. They're, they're participants, but Jesus' power is what changes this man. And this is going to necessitate responsibility in the man's life. Think about for a minute. If he walks, this man can no longer beg. He's going to have to take responsibility for his life. He's going to have to work. And the sign is a miracle. The miracle is a sign. The power and the character of Jesus brings about life change. In chapter 2, 3,000 people get saved. In chapter 3 and 4, another 2,000 people come to faith in Christ through this miracle. This church gets big quickly. Saved men. This man is on his feet dancing. People are praying. They're finding community. Jesus changed the life of this man. And this man's life is different. This man's life is going to be lived differently. And if you have trusted Christ, your life is to look different than when you were lame. Christ changes the direction radically of our lives. Now I want you to know that Luke drops in this passage, he is hearing and seeing Isaiah chapter 35 that was a prophecy of what the Savior, what the Messiah was going to bring to the lives of those he touched. In Isaiah chapter 35 verses 5 and 6 it says, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then, the, then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Look at this passage. Look at verse 8. What's he, what is this man doing? He's leaping. He's leaping. He's dancing. 
He's jumping about. Who did this for him? Jesus did that for him. And you may not need to stand to your feet physically, but the power of Jesus' name can cause your heart to leap in a way that it may never have previously. That's what the power of Jesus' name does. Number four, I want you to see this. You and I should expect that the direction and destiny of your life and the life of the church to bring glory to God through the power of Jesus' name. God's people are not to be just making much of God. We are to be people that make much of Jesus. He is the one who has saved us from ourselves. He is the one that has made our heart strong to where it gets on its feet. And there's radical change in the direction. And for this guy, there is literal a physical and spiritual redirection of his life. And it happened individually for him. Now, I saw something in this passage that I had never seen. And I have read this. I I could not number the times I have read this, well, at least once a year for the last 35 years. At least once a year. And, and it's amazing the depths of God's word that he allows us to see things that we never saw before. And today I want to invite you to see what I saw that I'd never seen previously. This man, in the power of Jesus' name, is healed. And then in verse 8, I want to show you what happens. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, what does this mean? What happened here? This guy's outside the temple. He's cut off from spiritual life. He's cut off from community. But when Christ's power comes on his life, he's on his feet. And where does he go? He goes into community. He goes into the temple, to the place he had never was allowed to go before. Now, I don't know about you, but I might have been tempted, like to say, my family's going to be happy, jump to my feet and head out, the, head out to go tell others what happened to me. But no, he turns and goes in. And there's details in this story that Luke records that I believe is evidence that Luke has received an eyewitness account of what happened. Someone who eyewitnessed it told, he said, basically, this man was hanging on to Peter and John. You can look at the details. Hanging on to him. And Peter and John says, guys, don't look at me. Everybody's rushing in, watching this. They all know him. And Peter and John said, this was not me. This was not us. This was, this man was made whole in the power of Jesus' name. See, the power of Jesus' name does that for us too. He brings us into God's presence. He brings about profound directional change. No longer should you be crippled by life. But I know some of you, you are professing Christians, 
and this morning, you feel stuck. And here's how you feel stuck. You feel stuck because you believe you are defined by the mistakes of your past. Little ones, big ones, all piled together. And you have people reminding you constantly. They'll tell you you're a loser. A failure. You define yourself by your past. This man's past is not going to be defined by his past. Once he's on his feet, he's leaping and dancing and praising God. And folks, when God's people who are changed by the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it takes a hold of your heart, there's profound directional change, and by and large, what that's going to do. When God's people make much of Jesus, it will draw a crowd. It'll draw a crowd. And the direction of many are changed when the glory is given to God in the name of Jesus. And that's what we find in verse 9 and 10. Peter does not take any credit. He points to Jesus. And then he opens his mouth and has a gospel conversation with them. And 2,000 people come to faith in Christ. That's what happens when God's people give glory to God and they point to him. And we are called to glorify God. Church, church, please hear me. If we are going to be like this early church, you and I must, must, must make much of our Savior. We must make much of Jesus. He is the one that changes life. And we must never, ever make an apology that we don't offer what the world offers. Our power is not in a program. The power is in the person of Jesus Christ. And you and I can be tempted. Yes, we're going to feel the pull that a church like ours who have gifted people and we have lots of children, that we, can, we should build great programs. Be asked all the time, offer more, do more, do this, do that, do the other. Entertain more, make it more relevant. But may we never forget that real life change is not found in programs. Real life change is not found in the peripheries of those programs. The power of the church is in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. That's who we have. We have Jesus, and it's a mistake for us to ponder. Oh, is this all we have? We should be saying it's who we have, the presence of Christ in us. That's who we have. This is what ultimately we prioritize. Grace Fellowship is about glorifying God and making much of Jesus, and he changes lives. He brings hope to our deepest problems. He determines what life will look like. Do you know that the power of Jesus' name determines what life will look like for you today and a hundred years from now? And do you know that a thousand years after everybody has forgotten your name, only the name of Jesus will matter in your life? It's the only thing that's going to matter for any of us. Any of us. And we lose touch with this. 
It's easy to do. But may we never lose touch of the reality that our Savior said, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And I give to them what? Eternal life. Nothing is going to separate you from him. Nothing's going to separate you from the Father. Where does the Father hold you in his hand? And you may feel crippled by life, broken by circumstances, but the power of Jesus' name can make you victorious nonetheless. Nonetheless. Church, Peter and John, what they did here is they intentionally saw the man that was beyond their means to help. They gave to this man all they had. They gave him Jesus. They gave what they had, their faith in Christ. And this man experienced it. They got to see the practical and the spiritual needs of the man met in a most miraculous way. And it opened up a gospel opportunity. It opened up a conversation. And it gave them the ability to make little of themselves, which we find in verse 12, and much of Jesus. Church, may we never be very far from the lens, the reality that grips our heart. That we have Jesus and that's exactly what we offer to the world at large and our neighbor and everyone that God places in our path that we feel overwhelmed. We don't know how to meet the need. We have the power of Jesus' name. Now some of you today... You come to this room and you feel like this man. Now, not literally, maybe, but spiritually, you know what it's like to feel lame. And you cannot walk. And your life feels broken. And you actually, although you may have never said it to anyone else, you are looking for answers. And you're looking today. I do not have anything to offer you. Pastor Brad, any of the staff, any of the elders, the deacons, we have nothing to offer you that will really change your circumstances. What we have to offer you is the power that Jesus loves you and will take you right where you are and eternally change your direction of your life. That's what he's willing to do. In this room, right here today. He will do that. It is as simple as you placing your faith and trust in Christ. As the substitute for and the Savior from your sin. That on the cross he died for your sin. And I'm going to invite you today, right where you sit. I'm going to ask Christians... To come back that what we have is the power of Jesus' name. This is what makes us the church. And if you're not a Christian, I'm going to invite you. If you sense in your life, I need God. I need Christ to change my life. I want you to know God is ready to hear your prayer of trust in Him. Would you pray with me now?
Father, there's men and women in this room who follow you. And they've trusted Christ. And their life right now, circumstances are pressing on them. Remind them that the presence of you in them is resurrection power. Help them. Father, for unbelievers that sit in this room today, would you, would you draw them to you? Unbeliever, I invite you to pray right now. Oh, Jesus, will you save me? Will you reach to me and pull me to my feet spiritually? Will you forgive me of my sin? I place my faith and trust in you. Give me a joy unspeakable because of your presence in my life. Redirect me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. God's people said.